This episode of Troxel Podcast is supported by Twin Motion, the simple, real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. And in this episode, I welcome Belinda Urkan of Epic Games and Anthony Cortez of Arup. Belinda is a product marketing manager for the Twin Motion product at Epic Games. She went from playing Prince of Persia on MS DOS, anybody remember that, to learning her first digital piano songs on Windows 3.11, to finding a joy in arts music and, of course, computer games. Before she joined Epic Games as product marketing manager for Twin Motion in 2020, she dove deep into studying Japanese and classic piano at a music conservatory before giving her career-finding journey a third attempt of obtaining a master's degree in architecture and digital design with a focus on 3D visualization. Having worked as the in-house visualizer at HLM Architects in Sheffield, UK, she moved to Hungary to work as a visualization product manager at Graphisoft. What came next? and here we go with some puns, was an epic time with unreal moments now continuing the pursuit of bringing Twin Motion's visualization front to the next level. Also joining is Anthony Cortez, who is the Arup visualization leader in the Americas region. He joined Arup in 2003 and provides a broad range of digital lighting and experiential design projects. With a background in animation production coupled with high-profile international project experience, Anthony brings to life cutting-edge solutions for his clients through a collaborative design process. In this episode, our conversation begins with a walk down the ArcViz memory lane for each of us to wax nostalgic, of course, but also to give some perspective and appreciate how far things have come to the current culmination of real-time rendering. We then talk about how these developments in real-time have enabled the use of these new tools not only as final output as seen traditionally, but as invaluable design tools that aid in the decision-making process, which we call design. And after all that, we get into the idea of tools and agency for the design team, but also for clients and owners, which is a part of the conversation that I truly enjoy. Overall, this is a compelling argument for the adoption and exploration of new technology, which will not be lost on this audience's ears. And this time, it is all about real-time rendering. I hope you find this episode valuable. It was a very fun conversation with my two guests. So I couldn't be happier to bring you Belinda Urkan and Anthony Cortez in this episode sponsored by Twin Motion. Linda and Anthony, welcome to the show. It is great to have you both here to talk about some interesting history and new tools that that we're all kind of getting into and or have been a part of for a while. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. So Belinda, welcome. Hi, Evan. And Anthony, great to see you. Hey, Evan. Great to be here. Really excited about this. Belinda, you're working at Twin Motion, which is with Epic Games and creators of Unreal. Yeah. Anthony, you're working at Arup in Los Angeles, which is a obviously a humongous uh, engineering firm. And what I what I love about kind of the the pre show talk that we've had is there's this deep history into not just technology, but 
computer graphics and architecture and engineering. And so I have a, a similar kind of path. And so I thought it would be fun for us to go on a trip down memory lane. Where we're going to end up in this episode is talking about like the latest, greatest tools. And I think a lot of times we just end up taking the latest technology for granted because things are changing so fast. How could we possibly even recognize what's what's actually going on here? Because every day there's something new. So Belinda, maybe you could start off with give us an idea of your origin story in this technology and architectural vein because it's super interesting. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, so my background is in architecture. I studied architecture in Germany four years, bachelor program, and I recognized and realized quite early on that I'm not too good as a designer, but as, a, as someone who visualizes design and just visualizes the imagination of a designer and brings that into a computer screen, right? And so I, I got into all sorts of rendering software tools and Photoshop and image editing tools and a I pursued a, a master's program that specializes in exactly that, architectural visualization. So that's why I I was working as a 3D specialist in multiple architectural visualization studios and practices around the globe. I, I know the pain points very well of both the architect, the designers, the, the design process, the visualizers, and it all started off with so-called offline renders because that's what I was using back then that's what was in the curriculum of every university it was all about you know offline renders and that thing where you have to just wait night overnight overnight for you know one pixel to render submit to the render farm and then just <laughs> yeah. something else to do right yeah <laughs> so as exciting as it was I was also very afraid of like doing mistakes back then you know a lot of time was put into this and I every time I was are you ready, Belinda, to click on the rendering button? Yes or no? Yes or no? Let's check. Let's check that again. Let's check this geometry. Did I set the light right? And is that, you know, I had to plow through all the myriads of rendering settings, whatnot, in order to be able to feel like confident that now I can, yes, I can confidently click on the rendering button. And yeah. then how many times <laughs> did you have it where it's like, you, it's going for a while and then you realize you see a frame show up and you're like oh crap that yes. light wasn't wasn't even turned on yes. yeah oh, that's the worst like exactly like the third row top right hand corner of the picture i'm like no 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 right. no no and then i just had to cancel redo it all over again that's funny you say that i actually had all of the computers in my office probably like 200 machines i would log on at the end of my day I had this rendering farm software called Backburner set up. Mm. And I, you know, before it was automated, I went and logged into each one of these machines yes. to uh, press, you know, to enable it. And I even had like, you know, a setting for like an email notification, whether when like a render um, node crashes. Right. So it was like, it was, I hear, I, I feel the pain. And and we we chuckle and we laugh because it seems so absurd now, right? <laughs> that we had to do all this. But and I remember too submitting things to the render farm and a node would fail. And I learned very quickly: render to image sequence. Don't render oh. to an animation file because if you render to an image sequence, I can just go back and render the few frames that I needed that didn't work out, right? <laughs> or exactly. that got corrupted when sending it back to the host machine over the network, which happened too. It was all of these crazy things. So, it's a anyway. 
Belinda, please continue. <laughs> oh no no that was that was that it was my life basically that was your life during yeah. university and i remember that i i it was 10 p.m at night i was confidently clicking on the rendering button and i went to bed and i set myself multiple alarm clocks just to check babysit the pixels yeah, yeah right. just to, to babysit and i was so happy when the next morning it was all pixel perfect and it was ready to be photoshopped for example because yeah. no render goes out without proper photoshopping so yeah, that was that was the these old the old days. It was and, very and linear. It was a very linear process, you know. It was. And and what size images were you rendering? Can you can you remember the pixel size? Yeah, like it had to fit on an A one A zero sheet of paper. Yeah, and because it, it had to go out out of the color plotter and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah those ones. Right. Those right. big sheets and uh, I had to render I, I rendered I was so like an ardent fan of all sorts of uh, rendering tools and, and visualization software tools that I that my fellow students they said Belinda can you please render for us as well we do all the physical models for you because we know you hate doing that but we know you love doing the the visual part and so that was my was my job at the university community effort wow Right. Yeah. So, did rend- you you basically opened up your own rendering service bureau? Right. In yeah. yeah. University. <laughs> <laughs> well, the professors didn't know, of course. We had right. to keep that a secret. There were many businesses born out of architectural school. Yeah. There yes. were some entrepreneurial people that were taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, you know, to their Absolutely. benefit, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Anthony, give us a, a a snapshot of where you've come from. I know you've been in the business for quite a while. Uh, my career started in the mid-90s. My background is technical illustration and uh, traditional animation. So when I said back to the drafting board earlier, like you're you're nodding along like, yes, that is, and me too, that is where I started as well. Exactly. I mean, it was it was great, you know, having that, that long bar where you would slide up and down. You had your drafting tools, your triangles, your drafting dots. Right. The, the, the smell of the vellum. Right. Um... You know, it's like uh, everything was... Electric erasers. Yeah, those those electric erasers, exactly. And your brush. The brush that you would use to brush off the eraser particles off of your table. You had the eraser particles, but you also had the particles, the stuff you shook onto the drawing so that the parallel bar would actually not smear your your pencil lead or your ink. (laughs) I guess it was just pencil lead at that point. But yeah, you were always brushing this stuff off and it, it was a messy process. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but the whole idea of it was taking, you know, you. I learned the the the, the basics of the vertices and the line and the and the shapes, and and two D three D perspective drawings, like having a vanishing point on one side of the the board, the other side mm-hmm. of the board, and then just like projecting those lines, and where wherever they intersect, you had that vertice, and you would draw these perspective drawings based off of floor plans side elevations and somehow they they all just magically converged into a vertice and then for those vertices collect uh connect the lines uh, and then you have a 3d or a 2d perspective drawing and then that somehow translated into 3d at some point yes yes i was introduced to autocad back then it was just like um you know, it was just like uh, primitives. You know, you had your 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 boxes, your spheres, cylinders, cones, which you still do now. 
but I knew there was much more to that, you know, uh, just learning those, the first drafting tools. So uh, I was a big gamer also. I was playing a lot of Virtual Fighter and Quake. At some point, I knew that there was going to be a convergence of video games, architecture, and Hollywood visual effects. Because I was a big movie fu- uh, buff also. You know, grew up watching Star Wars, of course, Blade Runner, and all the Pixar movies. So at the time, I think it was Toy Story that, that first came out. Mm. Um, that was in like 96. I went and studied um, traditional animation where, you know, again, I was on a, on a light board this time. So hand drawing frames of animation, it was, uh, I think, 15 frames per second. Mm. So you had to draw about 1,800 drawings for two minutes of animation. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, by by (laughs) hand, exactly. So again, back to the drawing table. And then, you know, um, the programs like 3DS Studio comes out, and then you have the teapot. So you start getting into, you know, more organic shape uh, modeling and NURBS modeling as well. So you have... You know, those those sets of tools, which was like, you know, that's where it all started. After school, I, I, I started going to a lot of these um, conferences. The, my favorite one is uh, this one called Seagraph. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure you've, you've heard of it. Um, it's been going on for decades. And it's just a combination of, um, of art and science. And you go there and you get inspired, you know, going and, and seeing technologies that will come out of five, ten years in the future right yeah back then we were i attended you know this this uh, high dynamic range imaging session uh led by um paul debevic he was talking about there's just a theory and algorithms behind hdr and now like you know today we have it all on our phones yeah it's all on our phones (laughs) it's pretty amazing So there's a few things in there. I, I remember Mist specifically, which is, I guess, going through a reboot right now. It's like one of the very fir- kind of virtual world, 3D rendered, a little bit surreal, but just gorgeous. I mean, they they really kind of doubled down on the aesthetics of what were possible in computer graphics. And then you mentioned Pixar and Toy Story. I, I remember hearing about, and, and this, again, just to kind of go down memory lane to think about how far we've come. Belinda, you you alluded to it. It's like you would hit render and then you would wait. And I remember waiting 18 hours for a rendering that had, I, I did a lab scene and it had beakers and test tubes and all these reflective and refractive surfaces and multiple lights and, and shadows. And this was like the death of a render scene. Everybody knew it, but it's like I had to do it and waiting 18 hours for that one image to pop up so that you could then spend probably equal amount of time photoshopping it to get it exactly how you wanted. But Toy Story in particular was anywhere from 35 minutes to 35 hours per frame. And and I think they said it took over 71,000 hours of rendering to kick that movie out. So that's just rendering. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. Also, that, that was before like global illumination was even... Totally. You know, was being used. Yeah, fakeosity. Ray tracing. And yeah, I mean, it was it was just brute force. And I, and I think... You know, this is a good transition point for us to talk about the shift from CPU-based rendering into GPU-based rendering, which is where the game engines have put everything, right? And that's really where the acceleration has come from. And it seems like that really, you know, we first really started to see that with 
games like Quake and Half-Life, right? Like those were kind of at the epicenter of this transition into offloading it off the CPU and putting it onto the GPU. And that is when like the light bulb went off and obviously hardware was still big and noisy and power hungry. And, and now like what, what we're doing on these very slim devices, because people have gotten a lot better about chip making and we're not going to get into all the technicalities of the hardware side of things, but I think it's really interesting just to see this again, kind of, we take this all for granted, but it was a long evolution to get here and it we've been through the whole thing so we can kind of appreciate where we've come from and uh, hopefully where we're going and just and notice that like the gpu in my phone can do hdr on the fly it can do billions or trillions of calculations per second on an image with computational photography like that's the kind of thing we're talking about but for image making capabilities of architects and engineers Right, it's it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it brings together speed and photorealism. I mean, you can have it the fast and pretty way. I mean, speed doesn't come at the expense of high quality graphics anymore. With with real time yeah. technology coming along, you can have both now. Yeah, you can have it both ways, right? <laughs> you can <laughs> yeah. have it all. It's the <laughs> <laughs> right. So so we talked about this kind of fear of pushing the button, and now you, there's no fear. And that, to me, is is really where the next layer in our story, which is giving designers or image makers or visualizers agency to play. There's two different things we should talk about here. Number one is is just the speed at which things happen and the ability for people to make adjustments on the fly. And there's also kind of this UI side of things, which they're they're intertwined. You can have a great fast tool but it can be still difficult to use and so again to kind of paint this under the the, put it under the umbrella of you can have it all it it also should be fun to use and it should be easy to use and easy is is part of that ui and fun to use is part of that ux right it's the user experience side of things so if we think about the tools that we used to use in the past it the screen was littered with UI buttons and and settings and radiance and global illumination and fall off distances and there were all of these little tiny settings if anybody's used V-Ray for any amount of time they know what we're talking about right it's just like you get this UI that it looks kind of like a spreadsheet right it has some sliders and stuff on it and that I think that's also one of the big takeaways from gaming is that like the user interface can be useful and beautiful and fun to use as a layer on top of this window that is giving you a, a, that window into that other world that you're creating. So I'd love to hear maybe from both of you and Belinda, you first, like coming from a strictly visualization, you know, you're, you're opening the service bureau for your, for your school, for your class, right. Uh, to, to do rendering services and where, where now we are, um, take us on that little journey there. Yeah. I think there are two journeys running here in parallel streets is that if we talk about game engines and game engine technology, and we look at, for example, Unreal Engine or Unity, it's a tool for professionals still, it's still daunting. It's still. I'd say it's a tool for nerds. Yeah. For nerds, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah, you got to be really into it, and and as a pro, you do want to have your 
your myriad of buttons and parameters and settings. You want to be in control of all the control settings. You want to be the one who can use that depth of control, right? And, and, and you're fine with that. So that's real-time technology as it is right now for professionals. But then there is another movement or another shift going on that I observe is that at Epic Games, for example, we are trying to continuously demystify technology, real-time technology, and democratize it precisely because of simplification. So you can see it, it's a phenomenon around the world. It's, it's um, I mean, the whole world of technology is experiencing this shift marked by more simplified tools. Simplification is key. If you want to distribute and democratize something, you got to make it simple for the average Joe so that everybody can use it. And that's also mission at Epic Games. Like we want to offer a tool for pros, but we also want to offer tools and enable creative processes for everybody. May it be a kid, a student, a generalist, a specialist, a stay-at-home mom. We, we want to give you the same fun <laughs> that the pros have when they are creating and when they're in their creative flow. We want to give that to everybody, make it accessible. So the true magic here lies in continuously hiding uh, the complexity of real-time technology and game engines and cater to all sorts of personas and people, may it be professionals or, or generalists or, or beginners or just people who just want to have a first glimpse and, and get a feel for real time, you know, and then start sharing their design ideas. So, so that's something that's currently that I observe, you know, it's just this heavily simplifying things. So you can see it with like TikTok and Snapchat, all those apps, there's like a convergence going on of you can be your own movie maker, you can be your own Photoshop specialist, artist. Uh, you can now, every generalist can be the specialist. You don't need to hire a specialist any longer. You can be that one because technology makes it, makes all that complex stuff accessible to you in a very easy and simple way. So the it's a lower learning curve and the threshold is lower and you can get into it easier and faster and get into this whole creation and creativity process with this simplification going on and that's how I got into real time you know I didn't get into real time because I was you know because I'm also a gamer I love games and uh, I knew all about it and, and game engines and unreal and unity and whatnot and but I, I just looked at it and I was like nah I better stay with my offline renders you know it's it had nothing to do with my comfort zone it was just very like no, I don't want to get into this. I'm going to wait. I'm going to spend more time on learning and figuring out how that tool works than I would spend time on actually hitting the rendering button of, of the offline solution. But then, you know, uh, like with Twinmotion and other tools that harvest and harvest the potential of game engines, those there are teams around the world that take game engines and then heavily simplify it and expose only features and workflows to the generalist that he or she needs at that point. They, we are hiding all this complex stuff. We are just making it invisible, putting a very easy U UI on top, and then it's really just a click and play feeling that you get with simplified real-time tools. That real-time visual feedback, which is so important to a designer to get a look and a mood and a feeling just right that yep. before was 
I'm going to change this setting. I'm going to animate its parameter over time. I'm going to render this. I'm going to render 40 frames. And one of those frames in the middle has got to be the right one, right? And that's the setting that I'll use from then on. We used to do that all the time. It was like our way of testing parameter settings that were hard-coded, right? It was like, just animate them over time and then find the the frame where it looks the best. And then, okay, that's your setting. Use that one from now on. We don't have to do that anymore. Now it's just move these sliders. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to have that agency to feel like it's simple enough. It's approachable enough that I can just play with this. And I think it actually leads to, it's, we used to think of rendering as the final, final, final output. Mm-hmm. Now it is a tool throughout the process to use to make decisions and play along the way so that we can have more time to be creative in the process rather than just in the production mode. Because a lot of times we separate those into two different worlds, right? Creative mode and production mode. So I think Mm. now it's really blurring the lines between those as you're actually getting both at the same time. Right. With real time, what you experience as, um, as a designer is reflection in action. Reflection in action means you are in a different relationship to your design building into your creative design flow because you get to make decisions while you are reflecting you know it's it's not anymore static and linear a linear process you know where you design render you see what you want to change and you go back to the beginning of the render process right this is now breaking this linearity and it's becoming more dynamic more non-linear you can have several design options you know within minutes and if you can have design options that is just sparking your creativity in in a different way and you can finally start iterating again and prototyping again without any fear you know of making mistakes and that it just changes the way we solve problems i think you guys are doing both of these pathways like you said there's parallel paths going on and at epic you've got unreal which is kind of the that's like the pilot's version where you, you look at a cockpit of an airplane and there there are a lot of switches and dials and readouts and okay, but that's what's necessary. And then we're talking about like the Tesla Model 3 over here, which is a streamlined, simplified interface that is for a lot more people, a lot wider of an audience. And what's nice is... It, if some point in your career path you decide you want to go into that more specialization, that expertise, there is a pathway to do that from one tool to the other. What this does is it just really doubles down on opening up those tools to be available to a lot more people. So anybody can actually do this. And that's really the goal, right? With what what you're saying, it's you can be a sole practitioner who is drafting in AutoCAD and modeling in SketchUp. And this is another tool that fits neatly into that toolbox. But also if you're using higher end BIM tools and Rhino and Grasshopper and Revit and Dynamo and doing all that stuff, you can fit this into that pipeline too and accomplish a lot more on your own than relying on a specialist to do it. Belinda, I think you hit the nail on the head with demystifying the whole pipeline there with the real-time engines and authoring, authoring tools. Um, at Arup, uh, we actually have many people from different disciplines, uh, and they're all focused on their their passion, whether it's like um, lighting or acoustics or transport planning, pedestrian movements. And then you have your traditional structural, electrical, plumbing engineers. So everybody has their specialty. 
And what what makes Twin Motion Real Time Engine really great is it's the interoperability between all those softwares that they're focused on, that they know with the back of their hand, and to be able to export you know those file formats that they work with into a real time engine. And sometimes it's even dynamically linked. Like you know you could still work on those primary softwares, and then have you know a button that updates that workflow into a real time engine. So I think that's you know that's one of the the powerful things about that pipeline there, to be able to still be comfortable working in your own、uh, software, but then if you want to visualize it, you have that output to be able to bring your、um, designs and. From there, visualize it, move it around,、um, take the camera, and and walk around the digital unbuilt environment as if you were a photographer. And then you start to see different perspectives and different angles on the site that you may not be able to have seen if you're just working on like a top down or an elevation section drawing. I've started using it a lot. My background also is in lighting design, bringing in architects. Revit models of buildings or bridges, and then using the、um, walking around in in 3D space, and then also start to introduce, you know, lighting. There's opportunities to be able to bring in photometrics and IES files into the spotlights and replace them with IES photometry, which is great because then you could start to play around with color and output and、uh, color temperature. And then set up different scenes as well. Like, okay, this is option one, option two, option three of the lighting design, and you start to tell. It gives you like a really quick way of、um, of telling that story, and you know that's that's one of the things that I I do like about it. The 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 whole interoperability of being able to connect Twin Motion to all different types of、uh, applications. I wanted to take a, a, a couple of minutes to maybe talk about some different ideas of success stories with with the software, and it could be any real time tool. But Twin Motion makes it even a better example because, as a designer, what I like to do is any opportunity that I can to get face to face with a client and let them make design decisions right in real time is a great relationship building opportunity, but also it's super inclusive. the The term I like to use is putting them in the driver's seat, giving them the steering wheel, and with a tool like Twin Motion, where the interface is simple and the controls are very simple to move around, it forces an honesty on the designer. So you it keeps some accountability to it. Where before, with with old school rendering, you picked an angle, you adjusted the field of view exactly so it got everything in that you wanted, but nothing that you didn't. And you didn't model anything behind you, right? You just modeled the stuff that was right there because、yeah. that was the the hero image. And now it's like, well, what's over here? And everybody's、yeah. encouraged to explore, especially when they're driving. So it it creates some accountability. Like you've got to have more figured out. But once they've got it, it's like, oh my gosh, this I get to walk around my project before it's built, and that right there starts to embed the reality that this is a real project and it's going to happen, and they get to share that story with people. And for, as as a designer who works directly with clients, that is the best、uh, word of mouth marketing for your particular project. Maybe not for you as an architect, but for that project to be successful, 
because by including them early in this real-time visualization, it's something they can understand, they can process it, they totally get it right away. They can then take that, those ideas, those stories, and they can tell them and build consensus on their side, which I can't do because I don't have access to those people. And it makes for a much smoother process. So that's a, a, an example of a success story. I know, Anthony, you've got a story about using the tool on projects like the JFK example that you brought up in our previous call. And I, I think that there's probably some other success stories around this idea of collaboration. My, mine is not like in software collaboration, but it's more like in-person collaboration. Maybe you guys have some examples of maybe in software collaboration or just project success. Yeah, project success wise, um, yeah, you brought up JFK. That was actually um, uh, a different application that we used. I brought that up because of the convergence of using tools from the movie the film industry, industry. Yeah, uh, the film industry, and then um, and using it in in a uh, practical application in engineering. So that was a uh, using crowd simulation. So going back to um, this movie, I'm sure you've seen Lord of the Rings where they have crowd simulation software that demonstrates orcs fighting soldiers in the middle of a battlefield. Sounds like a scene at JFK airport. <laughs> so they, yeah, um, they use the software called massive to generate that algorithm and the, um, the simulation using, I believe it's fuzzy logic to be able to have those agents make their own decisions based off of what they visually see. So taking that application and using it in a airport terminal uh, instead, it kind of branched off of that massive. We also use this, uh, this other crowd simulation software called Softomage Behavior to then bring in and design our own agents' um, brains and fill up an airport uh, with hundreds, thousands of agents, and have them walk through uh, the the airport and uh, during like different types of scenarios, whether it's rush hour or an emergency evacuation scenario. And based off of that fuzzy logic, they're able to see what's in front of them and make decisions whether they would go left or right, up and down. And then run, we'd run the simulation, see where they go, see how long it takes for people to get out of the building. And then based off of that, then we would maybe design another set of escalators or more uh, exits or widen corridors um, and then rerun the simulation and see how better the, the flow was of, of the crowds moving through the space. I think this is, this is really cool because it shows kind of the possibility of what, what you can do with real-time tools to make deci design decisions right based on actual behavioral outputs. And not everybody's going to use a a crowd simulation tool, but the ability to make design decisions through visualization and through these types of simulations, it could be lighting, it could be what's going on in the environment. And that, that can be applicable at, at any level of, you know, capability from the person driving it to, to the firm itself. Exactly. Um, and that's one of the, the, the things that we'd like to solve also in the future is um, eventually, we, we um, developed our own uh, crowd simulation software called Mass Motion, um, and being able to plug in that Mass Motion into Twin Motion or Unreal is, I believe, the the next step, nice. so that you can then immerse yourself within that crowd and walk around with a pair of uh, um, uh, head-mounted display 
and be able to, yeah, experience what it would be like to stand in the middle of Grand Central Station. That's incredible. Full immersion. Full immersion. Um, we'd bring in the uh, the signage as well, the wayfinding signage, and then put it into the hands of somebody that's not familiar with the space and see if they're able to find their way from street level all the way down to the northbound seven-line platform level, you know, with the crowds moving around them as well. Awesome. So uh, this is this is like the next step to like um, design iteration with real-time game engine. That's just one example. Yes. Just to add to Anthony's point around simulation, it's I just want to highlight and emphasize this, that simulation, being able to simulate an artificial construct of reality. That's the nature of game engines, right? That's the nature of games, actually, because what is a game? A game is like this virtual artificial construct of reality in which and it's simulating reality and you are in it as your avatar you know you are in it as your digital you or i am in it as my digital me and and i as an architect can utilize this um game component of simulation to test my idea first so because before things are physically built I would like to test my imagination in a safe space where I don't harm anyone or where I can really just go crazy, you know, with, with um, all sorts of design options and testing. It's a test bed. So, and, and, and you can do that in game, in, in game engines pretty nicely because you simulate quick and, and fast and it looks good at the same time, right? right? You get that instant visual feedback. I mean, you were able to do simulations before game engines kicked in. But you had it had to come at the cost of a high quality graphics. So you now you have it all combined and 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 just to your point, Evan, when you said that clients or the design process becomes more collaborative because of real time. If you marriage these two points, like uh, simulation and being able to test your idea and being able to c collaborate internally and externally. There's a, another shift going on where the client of the architect is shifting from being a passive consumer to active contributor. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that. It's, it's away from lonely genius at work and me, myself, and I and the tool towards more, hey, let's all sit together and be immersed in my idea or your idea and instead of having a static image, you can actually go inside that image with real-time technology. You can go behind the scenes of that image. It goes from static to dynamic again. It's, it's magical. I mean, when you start playing with real-time tech and you see that you can actually go inside your idea, you can go inside your image and turn around, navigate, and see it from all sorts of angles and perspectives, then you have an image every second. And that's true immersion here. And that's just really something that was enabled by real-time tech. I also have to bring in uh, to the point about um, you are able to go through and look around and turn around and see every angle of the design, which I think also could be a double-edged sword sometimes. The The important part of the visualization, I, I still think, is you know telling the right story. You have to curate your stories to be able to... Um, 
to communicate that particular idea of what you're trying to show. Sometimes when you have these design sessions, you have a lot of different people coming from different backgrounds. They could get fixated on one thing over there in the corner that you oh, totally. happen to look at for like a second. And then they're like, oh, you know, what was that, what was that over there? And then, you know, it kind of like um, uh, diverges from the initial presentation. But if you have your, your scene set up, which you can do in Twinmotion, you can kind of curate your presentation as well, which I think is pretty powerful in that, in that regard. This is something we, we don't let out behind the veil, Anthony, right? Like this is one of those <laughs> tricks that we have where it's like, we are two steps ahead of where the client expects us to be with certain things. And you're right. If, if you show too much, that's all they'll talk about is they'll fixate on the color purple on that wall in the corner. And it's like, I hate purple. And it's like, okay, we're not here to talk about the color of the paint. We're here. So, so the ability to just flip a switch and go into, you know, chalk model mode or foam core looking mode or whatever you want to call it. It's like massing model mode, right? It's like this raw state that the model is in as far as shape and form and maybe just light and shadow is super powerful to talk about ideas about the decisions that you've made to create this design to get it where it is. We're not focused on materials yet. We're not focused on colors yet. Um, we'll get there. Those are additional layers further down the process and we'll have specific conversations about that. But the beauty of it is you can already have a lot of that stuff kind of figured out, but you can just turn it off because you don't want the conversation to go there. Exactly. Um, I, th I thought it would be fun to kind of pivot into, you know, maybe a final segment and just talk about how a tool like Twinmotion reduces friction for anybody. And so I'll start off with an example, and then I would love it if you guys could build on top of this. But there's a certain, I don't want to call it an age group, but we all know that there's people in firms who have like this old school mentality. It's more of a mindset, which is these kinds of tools are for young people to use. You get it, like, yep, you're tech savvy. And I think one of the biggest success stories that I love to talk about with people when, when it comes to things like new technology is this story, which is a design principle. And they're overseeing lots of different design projects. And they, you know, when, as far as new technology goes, they're, they're old school. They think like, oh, and I don't really need that. I've already got it all figured out in my brain. But tools like this enable us to communicate with so many more people, uh, clients, stakeholders, whatever you want. There's so many people, you know, there's boards that you have to present to, there's communities, there's all these things. And it was always like, okay, you guys figure that out and I'll just react. That was very much the point of view that this person had. One day, somehow we convinced them to get in there themselves and their mind exploded with possibility. Like, oh my gosh, I get it. Like before they were always looking at it from the outside. And once they let their guard down enough just to try it out, it was like this huge spike of creativity hit. So, so on one level, like when you've got this experienced person who's been in the industry for a really long time and they think they know it all already and if, you know, they do, but this new thing they never saw coming sneaks up on them. And, you know, people in the office have been using it for years and they're experts in it and they, they're trying to do everything they can to show the value of it. And they're always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they get in there one day because they let that they just let their guard down a little bit to go in and accept it. And it's like, 
whoa and they're like sticking their head through walls and they're you know they're they do funny stuff in the beginning but it turns into real stuff really fast it turns into really creative because they do bring all this experience and they're like oh like the scale of this is actually not what i thought it was right like let's make some adjustments right now and let's see them update in real time and they just see the value of a tool like that so by removing friction not only through like the interface but just with what what you can show people and how fast they can react and how it can just open up new avenues of creativity i think is a really compelling reason to underscore here for people who are kind of on the fence or thinking like okay yeah this is for some other person but it's not for me i really want to encourage people and maybe you guys have stories like that too where you've seen a light bulb go off or a certain type of friction has been removed so that it makes it more approachable for a wider audience, which is exactly what you guys are trying to do, Belinda. You guys have other stories like that where it's like more human factor type stuff to create behavioral change within our industry to adopt tools like this to enable us to take our designs farther. Yeah, I would say that the behavioral change is not so much ignited by the new novel design process that we enable through Twinmotion, but more through the the other end of the process, the communication process and the the collaboration and the presentation. Because you can design better, quicker, prettier, we know, but you can also now better visually communicate your idea and immerse other stakeholders, you know, and there's a good example, I think, around digital twins. It's the virtual copy of a physical building filled with data information and it's smart and with digital twins of physical buildings you can collect data that then helps you to weave that data back into your next iteration of, of the physical building it's also for owners and operators and facility managers they use digital twins in order to um, monitor the health of the building Yeah, but then there are some studios that create digital twins of entire cities. There was a studio that created a city, Wellington. It's a city in New Zealand, and they wanted to drive awareness around future projects in in that city. and And w they needed to get agreements from all sorts of entities, and they needed to make it really public and really accessible. And it had to be very entertaining in a way because people, when they want to, when they learn, when people learn and want to get informed, they don't want to just learn and get informed. They want to be entertained as well when they are learning something. So with Unreal Engine, Twinmotion, real-time tech, you can visually communicate projects in a story-based fashion, which then ignites these aha moments, right? Which then yeah, it's not as these, technical, right? Yeah, it's not as technical. They can just grab that information because they're yeah. used to seeing it everywhere else, that type of infor yeah. visual information. And that's when it starts. That's when you start driving awareness. That's when people are getting hooked into, hey, technology is not to be villainized here. It's it's actually a friend. It's it's an enabler. And it's helping me to understand and to intellectualize and internalize and contribute and ignite my creative potentials and my imagination that is the power of visualization in this one case it's a um uh, we did a, a series of oralizations for an ongoing project 
where we're designing a high-speed rail and um, bringing it into different neighborhoods and different areas of the state. So a lot of these like um, sound properties are in a report and they're, they're labeled and documented by decibels. So people can't, you know, when you're looking at like say 90 decibels or 100 decibels or 50 decibels, um, that's kind of like hard to understand. Mm. So the removing of that friction and being able to, to instead set up a presentation, a real-time presentation of like a train going through a, a neighborhood, we'd capture the neighborhood using LiDAR drone footage um, recreate that as a digital twin and be able to set yourself on a, in front of your house looking at that new viaduct, the proposed viaduct of the train coming through the neighborhood. And then what if we put like a, um, a 10-foot noise wall or a 16-foot noise wall? The differences between the decibels are different. But if you're just reading it out of a report, you can't really grasp and understand what that experience would be like. So having a real-time tool allows you to be able to hear and see what those uh, design options would hear and feel like and then you know that when you bring in the the you know the principal into the room or the community or the client into that same room it just you know uh, explains and communicates your story right away and um, the the point is that when you're enhancing the user's perception visually and orally you're, you're allowing them to be able to make those faster, smarter, better decisions. Um, and that is, you know, that's the power of, that's the power of uh, real-time visualization. That's awesome. Remember how hard it was to populate your scene with Entourage back in the day? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, that was a nightmare, right? Like everybody was on right. TurboSquid.com trying to find this file format that they, you know, you could hopefully translate into this other file. That is a thing of the past. And that to me is one of the huge benefits to using a tool like this is that I don't have to even worry about that stuff in the modeling phase. I can keep my model lightweight and just about the architecture and the space and maybe the landscape, you know, the, the general landscape form. But then I can bring it into a tool like this and it is like playing a video game, populating your scene with Entourage. And that to me, having those libraries available and the materials available that are already there. So you're not off searching the black hole of the internet for various items to populate your scene or textures or anything like that. It's having that inside the package. Like again, just to appreciate how far we've come with these kinds of additional friction reducing aspects to program like twin motion just makes it fun to be a designer and create those presentation assets in the end um, and and have them be fully interactive and scalable and change the colors of things on the fly is just absolutely fantastic. And I can see it in your faces. Like, Yeah, it truly captures the spirit of the unbuilt environment. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it, it, makes it a lot more easy to communicate with people. Um, it gives gives things the sense of scale that they need right to to so they can really understand it but it's all just right there at your fingertips and i, I love yeah, that about it you could bring in birds even and cats and birds dogs make and... every rendering better right? <laughs> <laughs> hot, air, hot air balloons i think right 
I mean, I, I'm sure, Belinda, that a lot, a lot of thought has gone into that. Like, you want big asset libraries so people have tons and tons of options, but also, like, super intentional about what, what goes in there first so that it makes the most sense for people. Because that, I think, that was a huge pain point from old school rendering to what we see nowadays. Yeah. And now all these assets are on the cloud. And yeah. they're not even part of the package anymore. It's just because uh, that, that just causes the installation file size to be gigantic we don't want that so we we are continuously developing assets 3d assets um taking into consideration the priorities of our clients and what they truly need and when and how and we put it all on the cloud and it's whenever we are done developing a certain 3d asset package we upload it on the cloud and inside twinmotion you go into your asset library you see what's new and you click on it, it downloads like from the Christmas. cloud. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yesterday I woke up um, in the morning and I saw an email saying that there was a twin motion update actually. And I was so excited to, <laughs> to, to open it up this morning. And um, yeah, it was, it was great. You know, keep up the great work. Belinda. You're, you're doing yeah, a great you. work over there. Yeah. We'll try well, to that... make sure to add pretty birds and yeah. uh, hot air balloons. <laughs> the important. Butterflies too. And yes, butterflies yeah. are good. Yeah, we've got it all. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, that 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 is a, a great happy place to to end this episode. I think that the the beauty of this program is how much it actually removes the friction from everybody's kind of day to day, so that they can communicate their ideas and get better architecture built. And that to me is is priceless. And so I would just encourage everybody to check the show notes for a link to download Twinmotion and give it a try. But I also wanted to give you both the opportunity to share with people how they can follow you or anything that you want to add. I'll put links to all of this inside the show notes. So Belinda, where would you like to send people? Um, yeah, if you, um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Always happy to connect um, and expand my network and help and exchange ideas and communicate there. So LinkedIn is a good place to connect with me and for all things Twinmotion, Unreal Engine, just yeah, just go to twinmotion.com, unrealengine.com. There are a lot of nice examples and use cases and stories there to immerse yourself in and just get a feel for all things real-time and visual communication. Yes, uh, same here. Um, I'd be happy to keep the conversation going on LinkedIn. Feel free to, to contact me and connect with me there. This industry is very uh, very passionate about this work that I, that we do here and, and you know excited to, to continue the evolution of the, um, of the industry. So yeah, please feel free to reach out. Awesome. I, I love the, the call for the passionate to, to connect with us on LinkedIn. So I'll put links to both of you in the show notes for this episode and to the twin motion website. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to share today. It's been fantastic. And thanks for going down memory lane. That was really fun. Thank you, Evan. This was really fun. Thank you to Twinmotion for their support of this episode of Troxel Podcast. You can visit twinmotion.link slash TRXL, or I've made it easy for you. Just click the link in the show notes and download your copy of Twinmotion for free. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. 
You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon. Thank you.